right, for our scripture reading tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Jonathan asked me to read our psalm for tonight to you uh, in Hebrew. Apparently, he wasn't joking last week whenever he said that. So I'm going to read it for you in Hebrew, and then Max is going to come up and read it in English. Uh, so this is Psalm 3. Mizmor le David, bevorcho mipene av shalom beno. Adonai, my rabu sarai, rabim kamim alai, rabim omarim lenafshi, en yeshuata lo velohim sela. Vaata Adonai, magain baadi, kavodi, umerim roshi. Koli el Adonai ekra, vaya eneni mehar kotsho sela. Ani shachavti, va ishana hakitsoti, ki Adonai yismecheni. Lo ira me rivavot am, asher saviv shatu alai. Kuma adonai, hoshi eni elohai. Ki hikita et kol oyevai lehi. Shine rishaim shabarta. Ladenai ha yeshua. Al amacha virchatecha selah. Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Max and Terry. I so appreciate you reading this scripture. One of the reasons I wanted to have us hear that is to be reminded uh, that this is a, a, an ancient text written a long time ago, and yet God has been faithful and he's brought it into our language. Uh, so that's a picture, uh, even of the incarnation, God uh, bringing good news into this world and, and making it so that we can understand it. Uh, but I hope that as you were listening to the Hebrew, maybe you picked up on a word or two that you sound familiar to, you, like Adonai, uh, the Lord, uh, God. Uh, and it is poetic. There's, a, there's this beauty to it that stirs our heart, I think. So thank you again. All right, let me pray, and then we will begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can hear your word uh, as it was originally written. But then we can also hear your word in a language that we can understand today. Uh, thank you for the poetry in it. Thank you for its beauty uh, and that... We ask that that beauty would still speak to our hearts uh, today uh, as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we're talking about complaining. Uh, Now, I won't make us raise our hands, but I'm sure most of us here have complained at one point in our life. I'm sure for many of us it was a long time ago in in an earlier part of our life, but I think we've all probably complained at one point or another. There's no finger pointing allowed uh, in this, this sermon. Uh, <laughs> one point out, three points back, right? So uh, 
But we all complain at times, and none of us wants to be known as a complainer, right? I, I was thinking of like fictional characters that are known as complainers, and I thought of, of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Like Eeyore is your stereotypical complainer. He, he, he's always depressed, he's always sad, he's gloomy. I mean, there's a, a, a literal, not even a metaphorical, but there's a literal rain cloud hanging over his head, following him around. The color of his skin is gray, like he is just a gray human being. I don't know if he has ever been to like Seattle, but I think he would fit right in in the gray clouds. So that's his Eeyore, right? And, and we, 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 we like to like know Eeyore, and he's a cute character, but I don't know if any of us really wants to be in a deep relationship with an Eeyore. <laughs> I don't know if any of us wants to have like a, a deep friendship with someone who does complain all the time. Maybe you guys are thinking of someone. You're like, ah, I know that person, either a family member or a friend. That person's a complainer, and we all know it. Maybe you're thinking, well, I can't think of any complainers in my household. Well, maybe it's you. Maybe you're, maybe you're the, the complainer. I, I don't know. I think we all go through seasons, right? We all go through seasons uh, where we're joyful and we're excited and we praise God a lot, and then we go through seasons where we're lamenting and we're, we're tired and we're complaining a little bit more. Well, the good news is that the, God gives us the Psalms to fit every season, to fit every mood. So there are, there are Psalms for joy and thanksgiving, but there are also Psalms of lament, Psalms of complaint. And I'm really using those two terms synonymously tonight, complaint, lament, the, the wonderful thing is that like, God understands that there is sin in this world. This world is broken. And so there are going to be times when it is fitting and it is right to lament, that it is right to complain. In fact, the Psalms just embrace this. There are 150 Psalms, and over 60 of them are laments. This is the biggest category of the Psalms. David and the other authors, they knew how to complain well to God. There is a, there's a right way to do it, and there is a, a less right way to do it. And so we, as we come to Psalm 3, we need to learn how to complain well. And it's amazing that the, the very first time the word psalm is used in the Psalms is right here in the psalm, a psalm of David, a, a mismore of David. This is the first time, and, and this, this psalm, the first time the, the word psalm is used, it is a lament. <laughs> See, Psalm 1 talks about the law of God and how good the law of God is, the word of God. Psalm 2 is about the Messiah, and then Psalm 3, it's a complaint. <laughs> Jump right into it. And yet there is a right way. There is a right way to bring your, your complaint, your hardship, your, your frustration, <laughs> your heart's frustration with sin in this world, with our circumstances. There is a right way to bring them before God. And I hope that tonight we'll get into that. We'll talk about this psalm. Now, I'm going to follow 
uh, a bit of a structure tonight as we go through Psalm 3. I don't have a, a big idea. I'm just going to show you a way that laments in general, so this does not fit every psalm, but the way laments are structured in the book of Psalm. And so we can follow that structure in our prayers as well. So that we're kind of learning what is the right way to lament. Now, this is not something that I created, this structure. It comes from How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. This is a great book if you're wondering, how should I read the Bible? Well, pick up a copy of this and, and read it through with, uh, with a friend. This is a, a, a way to begin to understand. So the, the, the structure comes from these authors. And there are six elements of a lament that we're going to be looking at. And I want us to just dive right in in Psalm 3 and verse 1. So let's begin. The six elements of a lament or of a complaint, the first one is address. Now we're looking at verse 1. And sometimes you can divide verses up into different halves. A is the first half. B is the second half. So we're looking at the very first portion of Psalm chapter 3, verse 1. Lord, and that's as far as we're going to go. <laughs> Lord, that's where it starts. This is where the psalm begins. This is where the prayer begins. Lord, Lord. Now look real closely in the NIV down at the word Lord. There's something unique about how they have formatted this word in our modern translations. It's in all capitals. And that's because David here, the author, is using the special covenant name of God, the special promise name of God, which is Yahweh, Yahweh. And so, here in this text, the, the modern English translators have figured out a little way to signal to us that David is using a special name for God. So he's addressing God by the, by the name God has chosen to reveal himself to David and to the, the Israelite and the Hebrew people, Yahweh, and to us today. See, David starts by speaking directly to God, <laughs> David is complaining directly to God, but he is addressing him. He is using his name. Now, when we pray, when, when you pray, think about your prayers. How do you pray? Do you address God directly? Do you say, my, my heavenly Father? Well, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then we hear later, Stephen, when he is martyred, he speaks to Jesus. He says, Lord Jesus. He speaks directly to him. How do we pray? Do we address Father, our Father, our Heavenly Father? Or do we speak about him? Maybe uh, some of you have had that experience where like a family member or friend like, comes up to you and they want something, but they don't like say it directly to you. They kind of say it like in your, your, your general direction, like, man, I wish my, my wife would buy me that thing. I really want that thing. You're like, what? Like, this is, this is not good communication skills. No, you want to be direct. You want to speak directly to your spouse, to your, your children. I would really like that thing, Dad, Mom. 
And so in our prayers, let's, let's address our Heavenly Father directly. Let's not say, you know, I pray that the Lord would give me this or that. That's not a bad prayer. You have not been praying wrong. But another way to say it is, Lord, would you give me this or that? And it begins to, to make the relationship a little bit more personal. Have you ever been around people that you, you've met multiple times, like in a class or at the gym or one of your coworkers, but like in a, in a different office, and they come up to you and you're just like, hey, you, how you doing? Are you in relationship with that person? <laughs> like, can you say that there is much of a friendship there? There's not, right? Because you can't even remember their name. Well, God wants to be in a name-to-name relationship, a first-name basis with us in our prayers. And we have that privilege as those that are a part of God's family through Christ Jesus, we have the privilege of addressing our Heavenly Father directly. You can call him Yahweh. You can say, our Heavenly Father. You can pray to, to Jesus. These are fine ways to address God. So the first element of, of a lament is just Lord, Father, Jesus, addressing God directly. And element two is complaint. So we don't have to wait too long to complain. We're looking at verses one and two. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Now, before we jump into the complaint, I actually want us to back up to the header. That's verse 1 in uh, the Hebrew, a psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. See, this psalm comes out of a specific circumstance, a specific time in King David's life. King David lived about 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Jesus and if you've ever studied his life, he's the one that killed Goliath with the, the sling stones. If you've ever studied his life, it, it reads like a bit of a soap opera. He, he came from nothing. He was the youngest in his family, a shepherd boy, and he became king of Israel, king of, of Judah. It's an amazing story, but he made some serious mistakes as he went through this story. He committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, and then he had her husband killed to try to cover up the mistake. And that sin kind of marked how he led his life, how he ruled through the course of his life. Because his sons came along, and he had multiple wives and multiple sons, and those sons followed in their father's footsteps and committed some pretty grievous sins. There's a guy named Amnon, and this is in the Bible, a guy named Amnon, and he forced himself on his half-sister named Tamar. And David didn't do anything about it. Just said, he, was, he was grieved, upset, but he didn't do anything about it. He wanted the relationship over, uh, over consequences for his oldest son. And he had another son named Absalom, who we, who we see here, who got angry. And I think uh, rightfully angry. But he took his anger into his own hands, and a couple years later, he murdered his older brother. And then David didn't do anything about that either. David just let it 
go and let it fester. And that actually led to five years of separation from King David and from his son, Absalom. They didn't, they didn't speak, they didn't talk. And at the end of those five years, Absalom actually led a revolt, like this bitterness and this hatred welled up in his heart, and he led a revolt against his father, King David, to overthrow his kingdom. And it's at this point that King David is driven out of Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, and he's running for his life with his women and and children and, and soldiers. They're fleeing. So this is the circumstance in where King David pens the psalm, writes it, sings it, prays it. There's a couple takeaways for us. It, it, is a, it is a specific circumstance that produces this prayer. See, David doesn't just complain because he likes to complain. <laughs> he laments because he has something to lament about. When he's joyful, he sings songs of joy, sings psalms of of praise. But when he is going through a hard time, he's also not afraid to say, God, this is hard. This is really difficult. And so when we go through hard times, it's okay for us to come before God and say, this is hard. This is really difficult. We don't always want to be in lament. We don't always want to be in complaint. But when we are, Let's not be afraid to come before God and pray that. And the second point I want to make on that is, you heard David's story. (laughs) Did he sound like he was innocent in his story? Do you think he was a little bit responsible for the situation he ended up in? Yeah, he was was a little bit responsible. (laughs) This was partially his fault. In fact, a lot of it was his fault. And sometimes when we complain... It's our fault, right? (laughs) Sometimes we kind of produce the situation that we then feel like complaining about. And that's okay with God. We can come before him and lament, even if we're a little bit responsible. We can still say, God, this is terrible. (laughs) I don't want to be in this situation. And so we shouldn't be afraid of coming before God in our complaints. Lord, how many are my foes? Lord, how many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. It's okay to come before God with our complaints, asking for God's deliverance, for God to rescue us. So this is the the first two elements, address complaint. But we don't want to stop there, do we? Because The wonderful good news of the gospel, the Bible, is that it it takes us where we're at and it it turns our hearts, it turns our minds to hope, to to trust. And that's our our third one, trust. Verses uh, 3 through 6. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. So here, King David begins to turn from complaint to trust. 
And this is really what we want our hearts to do as well. We want to turn our hearts from from just looking at our circumstances to looking at God, to beginning to think more about the name we started with, our Heavenly Father. We can trust him. He is is good. And we see King David recognizing the the goodness of Yahweh, of, of his Lord. Lord, you are a shield around me. The type of shield in that culture was like a, a round, circular shield, uh, probably about torso height that you could use in battle, and it was a, meant to be mobile. It was meant to be maneuverable. This was meant to deflect blows from any side. It had sometimes leather on it, and it could be oiled. It was something you carried into battle. And see, David is praying his circumstances. He's, he's looking out. His men are carrying their shields. And here he's praying. And he's using his circumstances as an illustration for God and his faithfulness. God, I can trust you. You're like a shield. You're like a shield that those people are carrying. Now, most of us in our culture, we don't have like shields that we probably carry around. I mean, maybe on occasion you've carried a, a shield around, but most of us don't. So I was trying to think of what's something in our culture that can remind us of the ways that God protects us. A lot of us, we spend time commuting, we spend time in our cars, we spend, we spend time driving. And so I was thinking of airbags. And that really just has a ring to it. Lord, you are an airbag around me. But airbags are a pretty recent invention. They were, they were invented in the 1950s, but really automakers didn't start using airbags in cars until the 1970s. And then they really didn't become commonplace until the 90s. And, I mean, they started pretty simple, right? You have a driver's side airbag, so it's in the steering wheel, and then you get a, a passenger side uh, airbag. But then it's just like multiplied from there. Now you have like side torso airbags. You have side curtain airbags. You have a rear curtain airbag. Some cars have curtain airbags that pop up between the driver's side and the, the passenger side. You now have knee airbags. You won't hurt your knees. Some cars even have airbags in the seatbelt so that it won't give you as bad whiplash. In fact, some cars have airbags on the outside of the car so it is fine to run into pedestrians because they'll they'll just be they'll be fine you don't have to worry about it it's not fine don't run over anyone after this this service but the idea is that you're protected from any direction right front back sideways and we can be confident that our heavenly father will protect us from any direction. Now, it might not be the results that we want, but we can trust that God is good no matter what. And it's always those things that come out of left field, right? Those things that come out of nowhere that we're not expecting, just like a car wreck. God will protect us even in those moments. Financial hardship, sickness, the loss of a job. The loss of a loved one. God can protect us. We can trust him in those moments. Those moments where we don't see it coming. God will be there. God will be good. We can trust him. But Lord, you are a shield around me. I call out to the Lord, verse 4, and he answers me from his holy mountain. So David's David's trust here, it's first like all-encompassing. God, you protect me from any direction. And second, 
His trust of the Lord is confident trust. It's trust that doesn't look at his circumstances, but look at God, looks at God and his goodness. See, David was in Jerusalem, and that's where the holy mountain is, right? The holy mountain is where the temple was eventually built in Jerusalem, kind of the top of the hill. But at this point in the history of Israel, the tabernacle would have been there. So when you're in Jerusalem, you're going to feel closer to God. You're going to know, you can like look up and you can physically see the tabernacle. You can smell the sacrifices as they're being sacrificed and burnt. You can watch people leading their animals up the hill. Like it's, a, it's something you can, you can see, you can hear, you can taste, you can smell. It's right there. And David's been taken away from that. He's been, he's been drawn out of the city. He's been cast out. And what does he say? He says, well, I know God is still good. <laughs> I know you will still answer me from your holy mountain, even if I can't see the holy mountain. I mean, we go through times when we don't sense God's presence, right? or God seems far away. Or we wonder, God, I'm in, a, like, I'm in a dry spell. God, why aren't you speaking to me? God, I really need to hear from you. Does that God still hear us in those moments? Well, if we call out, like David, I call out to the Lord. It doesn't say, and he was quiet. It says, and he answers me from his holy mountain. You can be confident that no matter what you're going through, God is trustworthy and God hears you. Maybe he doesn't answer you audibly. Maybe he takes some time in answering you, but he will answer you. We can trust God. We can put our confidence in him. And the wonderful thing about having someone who is so powerful and so good that we can trust is that it should produce, it can produce actual peace, like tangible, real peace in our lives. Verse 5, I lie down and sleep. <laughs> I love how practical David is. He's like, I'm getting chased, in the very next verse, by 10,000 soldiers. <laughs> I'm being chased by thousands of thousands of soldiers that would love to kill me, and yet I can lie down and take a nap. <laughs> and we can lie down, and we can sleep. We can find peace in the midst of our turmoil, in the, in the midst of when we just want to complain. Like we can say, okay, I'm going to complain. I'm, I'm going to trust. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> I'm going to find some rest. God, would you help me find supernatural rest? And I, I will wake again because the Lord, he sustains me. The, King David and his men were like physically sustained by God. Uh, there's these three references. If so, if you want to read the original account, this original story, you go to 2 Samuel, and it's like verses 14 through 18, right around there. And there's three different occasions where, like, he found, it says he found rest, or people actually came and gave him food, and it lists the food. It's like he gave him honey cakes. God, God cares about, like, our nourishment. <laughs> God, God knows what we need in the moment. God did this for King David and his men and his women and children. God, God physically sustained them. And David thanks God for that sustaining moment. 
I will not fear, though ten of tens of thousands assail me on every side. So our first three elements of a lament are address, Heavenly Father, or a complaint. You can get real about what you're going through, and then we trust. We remember who God is. And finally, number four, we get to deliverance. We're looking at the first half of verse seven. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I say my prayers, I tend to just jump right in to a list of things I want. I, I, I tend to follow the Santa Claus format of prayer, right? Dear Father, dear Jesus, here's what I want. I've been a good boy. Can I have these nice new things? But here, what's the pattern? Like the, the ask for deliverance, and these are asks. Verse 7 uh, says, arise, Lord. Arise is an imperative. It's a request. And deliver me, that's a request. Arise, deliver me. These are requests that David needs to, to have met. doesn't come until verse 7. So I think this is a challenge for us. I don't think it's wrong to jump right into your prayer requests of what you need. God understands that we're going to go through seasons like that. But I think this is a challenge to to remind ourselves to spend time in relationship, addressing, being honest about our fears, and trusting. It's not that God is more likely to answer your prayers if you butter him up with some praise and adoration. You're like, man, you're great, God. You're wonderful, now give me my, my wants and my desires. That's not what it's getting at here. That when we take the time to remember how, how, how God has proven his trustworthiness in our lives, it prepares our heart to just receive him, to receive what he has for us in this moment. Because deliverance might not look like exactly how we request. Have you ever had that where you prayed one way? You're like, God, I... I have it all mapped out for you. (laughs) You don't need to worry about a thing. If you could just walk through my my four steps to success, I will be fine. And God's like, no, we're going to go on this beautiful sightseeing tour, and I'm going to deal with some of your sin (laughs) in your life, and we're going to get there, but it's going to be my way. See, when when we take the time, it prepares our heart for God's plan, how he wants to to deal with our hearts, our requests. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Number five is assurance. It's the second half of verse seven. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. That's pretty rough. (laughs) Do you think he's... David is praying for like God to literally break his son's teeth. I actually don't think that's what he's praying. See, this is a metaphor. This is poetry. This is a metaphor. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. I think he's addressing his problems. Lord, would you deal with each of my problems? Would you like kind of give each of my problems a, a, a roundhouse punch? We know that you can deal with the problems, God. We know that David actually gave specific instructions to his generals as he went out to battle. His generals went out to battle against his son. He gave him specific directions not to harm his son. 
So we know that he's not praying this against his son, but he is praying, God, deal with my problems. Would you break <laughs> these, these, these jaws that are threatening to, to bite me, to strike me? This is, a, this is a moment of assurance. Assurance is when you, like, someone's going through a moment and they just need like, a little extra boost. <laughs> this is just a, a moment where David is kind of reaffirming that God is good and God can deal with his problems. This is one of the reasons we need a church family. This is one of the reasons we need brothers and sisters in Christ that we are in regular communion with. Because we're each going to walk through seasons, through times where it's hard and it's difficult. And sometimes it's hard to, often it's hard to be the one that assures yourself. (laughs) You can come to scripture, you can find assurance in the scriptures. Romans 8.28, God uses everything for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's a, a very encouraging assurance But sometimes we just need brothers and sisters in Christ to say, it's going to be okay. God's going to deliver you. (laughs) Maybe that deliverance won't look exactly like you imagine it. But we know that God's end plan is to deliver everything. God's going to use this for good. God's going to be good in this season of hardship. We each need assurance. But thankfully, this, this assurance leads us forward. So we start with address, Heavenly Father. We complain, here's all my problems. We trust, but you are good. We ask for deliverance. Father, would you answer my prayers? Would you deliver me? Would you deal with my complaints? Fifth assurance, God, you are big enough to deal with my complaints. I know you're good. You're going to use it for good, even if you don't. Deal with my complaints the the exact way that I would prefer. And what does this lead us to? This leads us to praise. Verse 8, praise. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. So we have gone from complaining (laughs) to praising. That's where the scriptures take us. They take us from moments of darkness into despair, and they turn our eyes to Jesus, to our Father, and and we're delivered. We're delivered from our complaints. We trade our complaints in for praise. We begin to praise and say how good God is for for dealing with our problems, for dealing with our hurts and our darkness and our on our on our despair. You want to know what happened to David the rest of the story? It's a, it's, it's a sad story. It's a, it's a tragedy in many ways. So David, originally he had his back against the Jordan River. And God, used, uh, God just used his spirit and, and changed Absalom's plan so he didn't go after him. He, he delivered him, went across the river, and went into these woods. And Absalom and his men... They, they chased King David into these woods. David's men went and fought against them. It said 20,000 fell that day. 20,000 fell. And Absalom himself, he was riding on a donkey through the woods. And there's something you need to know about Absalom. He was an incredibly prideful man, and he, like, wore his pride actually on his head. It said he had, like, these long, flowing flo- uh, locks of hair, just beautiful hair. And, and he, he was riding under a, a, a tree with some branches that were hanging down, and he got his hair caught in the branch. 
And he began, he was torn off of his donkey and he began to swing back and forth by his hair. It says he was, he was actually, in the ESV it says he was suspended between heaven and earth, completely exposed. One of David's generals disobeyed orders, took three javelins and ran them through his heart and killed him. It's terrible, it's, it's sad. In the Bible, to die on a tree was to be considered cursed by God. Absalom was considered cursed. And yet, even in the midst of this, King David can praise God. God, I can praise you. My, I, my, my prayers of deliverance for my son, they did not turn out the way I wanted, but I can still praise you. There's something really sweet in this passage because David, he he said something amazing in here. So if you go back to verse 2, he says, God, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. The word deliver. And then if you you go to verse 8, he kind of reverses that. He says, from the Lord comes deliverance. This word for, for deliverance is a Hebrew word that many of you are familiar with. It's the Hebrew noun Yeshua. He says, my, my, my Yeshua comes. From the Lord comes Yeshua. From the Lord comes deliverance. Now, some of you might know that Yeshua is the name Joshua in Hebrew, and that's actually the name of Jesus. That's actually the name of Christ. King David is whispering the name of his deliverer in his prayers. I don't think he knew it. (laughs) Through the eldest son, through Jesus Christ, comes our deliverance. See, Jesus is the son. He was born of a virgin, and an angel came to, to his father and said, and said, you know, you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save their people from their sins. Yeshua means Yahweh is salvation. So we had a special name with special meaning. But Jesus is the son. He's the son of God who did the exact opposite of Absalom. He perfectly obeyed his father. He did not rebel. He did not sin. He walked in perfect obedience through his life to the cross to a tree, and he willingly took the curse upon himself so that you and I would not have to be cursed for our sins. See, now as we read this psalm, as we pray this psalm, there's a reason for each one of us to praise God. And it's because our deliverer has come, our Yeshua has come, our Jesus has come, and he has come to deliver us. He has come to turn our complaints into joys. He he has come to turn our trials into victories. He has come to deliver anyone who puts their faith in him from the darkest death to the brightest eternal life. That's what Jesus does. So these are the six elements of prayer, and they, they guide us. And at the end, we can always praise Jesus no matter what we're going through. Because just like Andy said, Jesus has has been there. (laughs) He took the curse upon himself. Now, in closing, I would like, uh, I've asked Shirley to come up and and pray our closing prayer to the sermon. 
just as a response, because I think it's wonderful to hear how different people pray. The, the mic's right there. Thank you, Shirley. Heavenly Father, life is hard. You never promised that it would be easy. There are so many times when we might feel like we have 10,000 soldiers against us coming at us from all directions. Lord, there are even times when we might feel that you are against us. Father, please forgive us for when our faith is weak. May you use these times of trials and testing to draw us closer to you. May we remember to keep our eyes on you when life is overwhelming. Protect us, Lord, and keep us faithful. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, who, because of his death on the cross, enables us to come to you boldly to your throne of grace and ask these things. Amen.